Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second all right thank you to my amazing co-host and partner in multiple business ventures frank king the mental health comedian frank thanks for joining me on this very special show would not have missed it (laughs) we have dr sally spencer thomas with us sally thank you so much for coming on Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm actually calling in from Orlando, Florida today at the Podcast Movement Conference, and I'm learning so much about podcasting. My head is exploding, so very thrilled to be here and uh, part of your network. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited that you're here. It's, it's amazing. Frank, every person that Frank has introduced me to has been just you know another level of do-gooder in the world, which is amazing. Well, and Sally will put an end to that right now. That's free. That's free. I didn't mean him to say that, so I'm not going to go further. (laughs) So, Sally, tell our listeners a little bit about, um, you know, why you do the work that you do. Yeah, so uh, I'm a psychologist by training and was in the field of mental health for about 16 years when my younger brother Carson took his life in 2004 and you know as many points in tragedy are in our lives that became a turning point for me to really make suicide prevention and suicide grief support a calling in my life and uh so i just started talking and no one's been able to shut me up since (laughs) (laughs) i have plenty of people that envision me with different kinds of ball gags and all kinds of things in my mouth and they've never won and i'm so happy about that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, there's a lot to talk about because one of the things that happened to me is in the aftermath of his death. You know, here I am, all this training, all this you know experience, and I realized there was so much I didn't know about suicide prevention and suicide grief support. And if I didn't know it, I'm pretty sure you know 99% of the world didn't know it either. And so, um, I guess. We were talking a lot about superpowers here at this conference, and I was like, what is my superpower? I'm not really that smart. I'm not really that athletic. I don't know what it is. But I think what it is is uh, I can help translate things. So I can you know, understand the research, translate it to the general population. I can listen to what the clinicians are saying and make that accessible to the everyday person 
um, in a bunch of different cultures and contexts. So that's what excites me is kind yeah. of the people in this work. Yeah, I just saw um, Dr. Sanjay Gupta speaking at a an event in Virginia and I was watching him and I was like, that's, I mean, I'm sure he's multi-talented in many other ways, but I thought here's where I can see he's really talented. He knows how to take very um, complex subjects and break it down so that everybody can understand what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's been a big problem in our field is that the academics kind of sit in their own little echo chamber. Mm -hmm. Um, and they love talking to one another, but uh, if your research is gonna make a difference, you've gotta be talking to the rest of the world about it. That's right. Um, and I love lifting up their work. They're often very humble people, <laughs> um, but they're doing amazing things. And so it's just, uh, I love to kind of spread their, their wisdom and their knowledge um, to others who can really benefit from it. I know I had someone who's like a leading expert in Munchausen syndrome, and he's the most quiet, person ever. And uh, he was like, oh, I don't think I could come on and do a, you know, I don't think I'd be a guest. I wouldn't be good. And I'm not really into like tooting my own horn. And I said, don't worry, I will toot your horn for you. That's my <laughs> job. You just come on and talk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, you got to have your horn tutors out there, you know, I mean, it takes a special skill. People don't think it's a skill because we make it look easy. But it, there is a skill to hosting and speaking and those kind of things. And uh, if it looks easy, listeners, it's because we've worked really, really hard to make it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Sally, what uh, was the impetus for you doing a podcast? You, know, you do Hope Illuminated. I'm so excited that it is on our network. It's amazing, especially right now with everything that's gone on recently and has been going on with mass violence, but now two things in one week, probably more than that, that we don't even know about, but um, it's just the impetus has been amazing. So it's like the perfect time to launch what you're doing. And, and so talk about that. And then I'm going to get into um, what day it is today that we're doing the show. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, you know, going back to, again, my brother's story, when I started to dig in and realized all the things I didn't know and decided to do bold gap filling work, to prevent what happened to Carson from happening to other people. It led me in a couple of directions. One is um, around workplace suicide prevention. So right, if we're gonna, we're going to reach youth in schools, we're gonna reach working aged adults in the workplace. And that made a lot of sense, but it didn't get traction until really just the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, where now most of my time is spent in front of industry. And, and uh, the other is, um, men's mental health. And this is how I, uh, well, I've known Frank for a really long time, but how we reconnected just, you know, in the last couple of years again to pull together a men's anthology that we called Guts, Grit, and the Grind. And we invited men to share their stories of coming thank through you. really difficult times and suicide. Yeah. Thank you for doing that for me, having a male, only one child and he's a male, great friends with my ex-husband, surrounded by men in my life, Frank King, another important male in my life. So yeah, thank you for doing that book. Oh my gosh. Well, oh. and can I, can I give yeah, you a little story about, story about the genesis of that book? Yeah, mm -hmm. Absolutely. Sure, sure. Yes. Uh, I met Sally years ago, a decade ago. She was doing the fundraiser for the Carson J. Spencer Foundation. And I went out and I auctioneered for her in, um, in an airport plane and helicopter hangar that was mm -hmm. hotter, hotter than the hinges of hell. And <laughs> I was sweating like George Bush at a spelling bee. Anyway, um, the 
Sally and uh, Sarah Gare, our other co-author. Oh, she's wonderful. Yep, yep. Yeah, suicide prevention um, trainer, uh, mostly mostly male, mostly uh, you know um, first responders. I love her opening line. Hi, my name's Sarah Gare. I specialize in men. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> the, she went looking for a book on men's mental health at Barnes and Noble, couldn't find it. Went online at Barnes and Noble and Amazon, couldn't find it. So thought, you know, there's a gap in the market. So she got together with Sally. They chatted about it. And then Sally thought, wow, I'm guessing I'm putting words in your mouth, Sally, but it would probably help if this was a little bit funny. So let's call Frank King. So they called me up and they said, would you be willing to make the book funny? And I said, wait a minute, you two ladies? Are writing a book on men's <laughs> mental health. I don't suppose you could use, I don't know, a man. And they went, Oh my God, a man. So uh, that's, <laughs> that's how I got brought on board. Yes. It's, it's been a delightful partnership ever since. Yeah. He brings the man to the manual. That's I mean, right. let's, just, let's just fan fan girl or fan woman a bit about Frank. Is he a lot the best uh, collaborator with women? He is amazing. He's I'm, been he's been so patient with Sarah and I, especially. We're like, we're going in this direction. Nope, nope, nope. This direction. Nope, nope, nope. This three years later, he's like, okay, I'm along for the ride. <laughs> Just keep telling me where to, you know, point my nose, and I'll follow along. It's <laughs> so great, Frank, and I'm so grateful for for all you bring. Not just your humor, but your get it done attitude and your your kindness and generosity. Such a gift to all of us. I, I think he has 800 rocks. Of, that he's banged his head on that we don't even know about <laughs> sitting beneath well, it. I do the same thing. I'm like, oh God, Frank is, this is the thing that's going to make Frank go, I've had it. <laughs> yeah. Coming back. So. Well, you know, I think, I think it is because my dad died very young. Um, I was raised by women. Um, my mother and all her, um, she turned, turns out she was actually gay. I didn't know that till years later. Um, surrounded by women. I've got, a, I've got a keynote called everything I need to know I learned from a lesbian. And from changing a tire to fishing, to cutting my steak, to <laughs> pitching a tent. Yeah. Um, and there's a sort of a, there's a history in the South, strong Southern women. Mm -hmm. um, there's a great book uh, called All, uh, All Over But the Shoutin' by Rick Bragg, New York Times writer, grew up on the border of Arkansas and Georgia, dirt poor, itinerant father, came and went, mother raised them and and he won the pulitzer and he says and i mean when i was listening to his book he read it out loud he read the audiobook i'm driving down the highway listening to his book uh, i'm sure it's because i was raised by a strong southern woman and i am weeping driving i'm sure people are driving by going oh don't look don't look he's going to a funeral um the line that just tore me out of my tree was is my mama let me climb up her spine out of poverty and i thought oh dear god yeah, so I think that's why, um, you know, that uh, my, my friendship with women, and uh, I think I've got more women friends than I have men friends, actually. Yeah. And I'm the opposite. I have more men friends than I have women friends, so we fit really well. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, that's um, I think I just have a, a special place in my heart for strong women. Uh, and I have a strong place in my heart for, for men willing to be vulnerable, which I <laughs> Which is really what, what attracted me to this book and the work that we do in, in workplaces as well is that, you know, these really often super stoic men uh, are saying, let me show you this side of me. And some of them say, this is the scariest thing I've ever done. And yet they step into that fear and 
they disclose and they build community and it's just been awesome. And Frank's been one of our storytellers. He's uh, not only the editor and uh, humorist and spokesperson, but he's also written a couple of our stories and um, has shared some of his experiences uh, that are really powerful moments. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart working mm -hmm. in this industry. And, you know, it's fascinating to me when, uh, you know, I've had people come in and say, oh, I want to do podcast. I want to be the next Joe Rogan or the next Howard Stern. And I'm like, you understand that you're talking about mental health, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? So again, here at this conference today, there's, you know, all these podcasters talking about what they talk about and they do these A-B tests on what's most exciting to their audience. And this man said, surprisingly, Mental health. This is a, a, a twenty-something African American oh, man who's a fitness really? guru, a fitness oh. guru, that and, and financial health guru. And he said, "I'm shifting gears. I'm going to present on mental health now." <laughs> Whoa! So I should Whoa. recruit him. <laughs> yes, please bring him onto the network. We need fitness people. You know, as long as they don't say to me, "Just take a vitamin and do some squats." <laughs> no, he's literally <laughs> wanting to shift gears to do just mental health oh, stuff and. So Cool. It's so great because especially in the African-American community, there's not yes. a lot of men oh talking about mental health. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Lord. Yeah, I yeah. went to the most. It's so funny because the leader of the conference was like, Kristen, you realize that you're at the most minority, 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 minority ever conference. And I was like, I don't care. I'm I'm coming. And it was the um, minority LGBTQI plus, 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 plus mental health conference. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> And I loved it. I love loved being there. And I was like, I don't care. This, this is what needs to be showcased. Hello. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mm. So how do you um, work, Sally, with people that just don't get it? They say, oh, yeah, good for you that you do this. And then they don't do anything. Like, how do you deal with the just keep on plugging, keep on plugging? How do you deal with that for yourself? Mm, I give people... Um, a little bit more anonymous ways to say me too so that they can start to uh, feel the power of the community that's been affected when you know as you and i know many people have stories they just don't share them outwardly so Absolutely. i'll do i'll do anonymous polling and um you know give people the chance to share a little bit about their story without putting their name to it kind of taking small steps into it uh, and when you see the transformation that people have from You'll never get my people to talk about this ever. You know, fill in the blank. Firefighters, lawyers, pilots. You'll never get. And I'm like, watch me. Everybody's got a story. <laughs> Everybody's got a story. And I just. And after my own heart. Yes. Just had, I just need one. One person who has high credibility with their peers to even share the most, you know, 50,000 foot level piece of their story. And people go, okay, well, let's that person did it, I can too. And then you see this incredible momentum. So that's why I do it because, you know, many years of banging your head against the wall, you get that one transformational pivot yeah. and it's worth it all. It's worth it all. Um, so it's the stories, it's connecting with people, watching the transformation. Um, it's really actually not been much head, head banging lately. Good. Uh, I've got so much coming in the door now that I have had to stop things, stop opportunities mm -hmm. um, because yeah. I just, it's just too much. Um, so that's an exciting place to be after banging one's head against the wall for a decade uh, that people are finally just coming in the door. I don't even have to market. They're just coming yep. in the door, um, and, which is surprising, especially in workplace. Again, people said, you'll never get people to talk about suicide yeah. in the workplace. Yeah. It took a really long time, but now it's happening. Very exciting. We're actually launching 
the nation's first set of workplace suicide prevention guidelines today, which is also um, amazing. Uh, so now, um, you know, workplaces will have a, a roadmap, but also a little bit of a standard to live into over time. We'll you know, create a community of practice around it so they can learn from one another and rather than it be something that people just pretend it's not happening or is swept under the rug, people will have tools um, to help their community cope with it effectively. And, uh, you know, I, what I did was I took the top 12 at-risk occupations for suicide and- Podcaster is number one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, of the top 12, all of them are aware they've got a problem. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, only three- one, two, three, three have actually become proactive as far as I can tell. Uh, dentists first, then veterinarians came second, and Sally will probably take construction is mm -hmm. getting on board. I think doctors are just about there, but the other- well, Public safety's been involved for a while, so both uh, firefighters and law enforcement, and to some degree, Department of Corrections, yep. Corrections have also been engaged. And I got a, I'm speaking at a safety conference, uh, a bunch of safety managers from, you know, large um, commercial manufacturing, you know, that kind of thing where um, and they actually uh, gave me a 10 minute TED style, TED style, TED talk style spot on the main stage first general session. They're going to have a couple of speakers and they've never had a suicide prevention speaker. And the tact I'm going to take is, look, uh, how many people here have had an active shooter drill? And that's a big thing in this, that safety industry. And I'm going to say, well, that's, that's, that's a good thing uh, the, to, to do that. But the problem is it's way downstream. Uh, active shooter drill, you're just, you're just trying to keep the body count down. Um, what if we went farther upstream? What if you brought somebody in, me or somebody like me, to talk about suicide prevention? How do you recognize signs of depression, thoughts of suicide? That way you could perhaps catch them when they've got a beef and it's beginning to boil and then bring in somebody after me who works on conflict resolution and resolve the conflict so we never have to get far enough downstream that we have to put all this knowledge we learned in the active shooter drill to practice, which I think is going to be a revelation for them. Hmm. You know, the the downstream, you know, why, why, why wait till you, it's a downstream problem? Why not go after it, you know? Before it gets downstream, yeah. Yeah, so. So the safety industry is is also um, tumbling to the fact they've got an issue. And uh, Sally, you uh, taught me this. I think I think mental health, depression, um, substance substance uh, use uh, costs companies in the U.S. more than like heart disease, high blood pressure, and diabetes combined in terms of lost time, absenteeism, presenteeism, medical costs. Yeah, it's one of those uh, you know largely hidden costs because people don't necessarily see it you know on on people's outsides but it's definitely affecting all kinds of things when it's untreated or mistreated etc all kinds of of work productivity and morale and retention issues uh, so it's it's a it's a huge issue but i, I think you're right frank that's the the safety folks that are really leaning in again bringing construction um, I have the risk managers looking at me with bug eyes going me going like you mean that fall that we could never figure out <laughs> yeah. All the all the safety training in the world won't won't stop that. You have to do something different uh, because of the intent behind it. So yeah, the time has come. It's very exciting um, to have companies be proactive around this. Most of them are still reeling after a death, so not entirely proactive. They're still reacting, but but more and more, it's becoming a norm of of safety professionals in particular, wellness to some degree, HR and so forth, 
Uh, so it's, it's a good time to be uh, doing this work. I get to see the transformation. Sally, and something little known, uh, and I got a call from a construction company, actually. It lost a 30-year employee in March of 2017. And I got a call in April 2017. They said, we want you to come and speak. And I said, well, we should probably do some postvention and then do prevention. And they said, uh, no, we just want the prevention. And I said, okay. I said, when do you want to bring me in? They said, next March. A year later, hmm. I said, okay, I think they probably need some postvention immediately to process all that went on. Everybody's got questions. Uh, Sally, can you speak to the, you know, people always talk about prevention, but there is a postvention element for the survivors in the, you know, in a, in a business, everybody, like a lot of times they just sweep it under the carpet. The guys there one day, gone the next, you know, they just sort of move on and everybody's got questions. There's, there's survivor's guilt and I wish I'd called them, but I had to pick up my kid. Can you talk yeah. about postage? Yeah. Well, how we, uh, how we handle the aftermath of a suicide matters greatly for all the people left behind, not only in helping human process grief and trauma, but also for people who may already be vulnerable to suicide. So the, the, the several months actually, uh, sometimes upwards of a year, depending on the circumstances of the suicide death, like whether or not it was on the work site and kind of the, the, the role the person played in the company, et cetera. Uh, there's all kinds of domino effects that happen. And so when you move directly from that point into prevention and tell people all the warning signs they missed, uh, it doesn't always go well. Um, people often feel, like Craig said, incredibly guilty. Oh, I woulda, coulda, shoulda. If I, if I only did that thing, maybe they would still be here. Uh, and so giving people space uh, to honor the life that was lost, uh, the service that was given, friendships that were made, just like we would any other death, that's often skipped. So all the grieving coworkers don't have a chance to do that memorialization. Um, but also to do so in a way that's safe and effective for the people left behind. This is the you know unspeakable death for many people. They don't have language. They like they have all kinds of you know why questions. The canyon of why. Why didn't they tell me and so forth. So a very skilled. Uh, not all employee assistance programs are skilled in this. Um, they're usually just skilled in straight up critical incident and, and trauma types of things. But there's lots of nuances with suicide. There's cultural and religious nuances and, right. and all kinds of things that make it complicated. Sally, how do you deal with, because uh, I've, you know, I've certainly had this happen. I, I have to admit it happens less than it did. So I feel like we are making a mark and, you know, I'm dealing with people all, all over the globe. So I'm seeing it um, happening in places like Australia, New Zealand, the United States, England, Ireland, and then other places are sort of trailing behind, but they're still catching up or, or evolving anyway in their attitude about suicide. So how do you deal with um, when you have such a deep, resonant conversation with someone that you know you're used to sharing, you're used to talking about these things, this is what you do and you've heard it all, and you speak to someone who really, you're probably, you know, maybe the first person that they've opened up the way that they have. And then they sort of pivot back into the groove of what's comfortable for their regular life. And you're kind of witnessing that. And, and it, sometimes to me, it's a little bit of a shock at how much they will sort of discard the depth that they just went into with you as they walk back into 
what they have to deal with in their regular life. And that can be a little jarring. I've, I've heard this from counselors. I've heard it from advocates and so on. And, you know, it's, it's not something to be passe about and say, oh, just get over it. I mean, that's a very real thing. And then as someone that works in the field, it can be, you know, it can be a little jarring. So how do you handle that sort of thing that happens? Mm, so uh, storytelling is a powerful thing, whether or not you just tell the story to yourself or tell it to your therapist or a partner or tell it to the world. Um, and there's, there's really great reasons to do that. It helps put a cohesive and redemptive narrative on something that feels very overwhelming and there's power in shaping your story the way you want it. But there's also a lot of good reasons why people are hesitant or don't, or like you say, kind of crawl back in their shell um, discrimination and prejudice is a real thing, and it, it is hard to kind of show your vulnerability and then brace for impact because most people will see courage and strength and respect that deeply. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've also got some some people who uh, are ready to use that against you. Yes. And so when we um, prepare people to share their story, we have them think it through before they get up on YouTube or in front of a media camera or you know some other very public forum. Because today, as you know, once it's out, it's out and there's no reeling it back in. So I, I respect people's pace on uh, kind of the oscillation, if you will, between stepping into the vulnerability, stepping into the work, stepping into the advocacy, whatever it is, and then pulling back and doing some self-protection. It seems actually like a pretty healthy course for people uh, for all the reasons that we have, family and cultural and religious upbringing, et cetera, um, sometimes that oscillation goes back and forth for a really long time. Uh, and that's totally fine. It's everybody has their process. So I, I guess that's where I sit. Like I respect it. I, I, I try hard to understand it. Um, and, and again, the more storytellers that we have out there modeling, yeah. You know, the, here's my arc of coming through this. Here's what I learned. Here's how I grew through it. Here's what I did. Here's yeah. what I did. And just, you know, not only matter of factly, just saying it's, it's life. This, is, this happens to a lot of people. But conjuring up those emotions of um, inspiration and, you know, the hero's journey, walking with people through that dark mm -hmm. forest and seeing you know, how they get to the other side. I think, with, you know, we've had people coming out with, their stories of addiction and depression and anxiety. Well, suicide in many ways is, is the last taboo. And now more and more storytellers are coming forward. And as I see that movement happening, it just invites other people to do the same. So I think, I think we'll see that momentum continue to move forward. I, I love that, that you prepare people. This is what could happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so low back, you could get, yeah. Yeah, I'm the president of a nonprofit called United Suicide Survivors International, uh, unitedsurvivors.org. And we actually launched an online course that people that people can take before they tell their story. It helps them think through what is my why, what are the pros and cons for me and me in the future, and also other people in my story. Uh, do I have a self-care plan for when I go back into the dark to meet some of these things? And uh, if all of that is a yes, then, um, then we put them into the next course, which will launch hopefully later this year, that will walk them through best practices and safe and effective storytelling around suicide. I cannot stress enough, listeners, how important it is to have a self-care plan. And I'm telling you from my own, uh, you know, journey on men, you know, with mental health and my own suicidal ideation, uh, I was the first person to go, whatever 
roll my eyes about a self-care plan. And it really, it makes such a huge difference. Even if you do it in private, as I did in the bathroom while you're cursing whoever told you to do it, it just makes a huge difference to write out what you're going to do. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit of, it's a letter to yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't have to share it with anybody if you don't want to. And it just sort of resonates in the back of your mind of yes. um, that you are not always standing on a cliff ready to jump without a parachute. Right. Right. And sometimes when we're in those really dark places, I had my own experience with major depression a few years ago, like, your problem solving abilities just go down the toilet and it's just t- tunnel vision. And so to have that written reminder, oh, yeah. here's what you said you were going to do. Here's the 10 people you're going to call. Yep. Here's how you activate your mental health services. You know, here you go. Uh, it's really helpful to have that reminder. It's so important too. I mean, and people, you know, you'd be made, there are some people, I mean, here's with the, you know, letting people know, I tell people, look, find people that you can share what's going on with you. Um, and some of them you'll weed out that they're not really people that you can go to and say, I'm really struggling right now because they run like the wind. <laughs> or, they're, or they're super judgy. Yeah, right? exactly. They just give you a ton of advice that you really don't need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know like Frank King is one of those people that I just did a couple of weeks ago where I was like, I'm really struggling right now for whatever reason. I'm just having a really hard time and I'm just not at my chipper peppy self. And I'm sorry if I'm seeming kind of bitchy, but, uh, I'm, go- I'm going through some stuff and, you know, Frank's like, Hey, I'm a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it all. So. <laughs> well, and what did you tell me, Frank? Uh, tragedy plus time equals comedy. Like eventually, right. We, we often look back at the things that were so challenging with the, with the lens of humor. So just know you're building like future comedy when you're <laughs> going through these Oh, things. I've given Frank a whole set with my <laughs> kachu behavior, right? Uh, Frank, are you still on? <laughs> oh, we might've lost it. Like you. muted us an hour ago. <laughs> That's right. Couldn't take you guys. So I'm like, uh, no. Um, and well, and I, I often say in my keynote, and this is probably, uh, I, I'm probably going to get blowback occasionally, but I say, you know, if you're, if you're suicidal, for goodness sakes, if you're having thoughts of suicide, call the prevention lifeline or, or uh, text uh, connect to 741741. However, if you're just having a really bad day, you know, you're just wretchedly depressed, call a fellow traveler, call, uh, you know, call somebody who also battles similar issues because, and I put my, I put my cell phone number up on the screen. Uh, I said, because we're not going to be judgmental generally. Uh, we're not going to should, as they say, we're not going to should all over you. You should do this and you should do that and you should try fish oil. Um, and we're just going to listen and forgive the, um, well, uh, I'll abbreviate actually. Um, a friend of mine who has double diagnosed alcoholism and, and depression is a vet tech where we take our vet and our animals. And she said, yeah, I just want somebody to co-sign my BS. Somebody just to go, oh, dear God. <laughs> And I saw her the other day, I dropped, took a pet in for a shot or something. And I was going back to the car and she came out the parking lot and she gave me a big hug and she goes, Oh my God, I just, I needed to see you today. It's just one of those days, somebody who understands. So, you know, if you're struggling, um, it's a rather large community of us out there. So, uh, you know, that's part of my self-care plan. Uh, the guy that I work out with at the gym, he has Parkinson's. 
Um, fortunately, it's not progressing very quickly. But, you know, he's one of those guys. He said to me one day, he goes, um, how are you doing? I go, I'm depressed. And he didn't judge. He just said, well, tell me what that's like. And I said, well, do you remember when you were 18 years old and every other thought you had was about sex? He goes, yeah. He goes, what's your every other thought? I said, going back to bed and watching Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> so, amen yeah yeah so i said that's what it's like it's like my, my bed is calling me from a distance come on come on you know <laughs> the lover you always come on you know dead to me you haven't watched the whole series yet come on it's so good <laughs> that's yeah. so it's nice to have people you know you can say that to that won't freak them out because occasionally i have gotten where i'm really tired somebody asks how i am and i tell them and it was a Uber driver, and he goes, uh, "How you doing?" I go, "I'm depressed and suicidal." And he looked in the rearview mirror, and he goes, "And what am I supposed to say to that?" I said, "Do you really want to know?" He goes, "Yeah." I go, "You're supposed to say, do you have a plan?'" And so he goes, "Do you have a plan?" And then there's this pause, and he goes, "Does it involve Uber?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. So. But usually, if you tell a normal person, they, they want to fix it, they want to help, they want to recommend something, you know. Uh, yes. Yes. Have you read A Course in Miracles? Uh, oh, my God, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, by the way. Greens, yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Marianne, uh, what's her name? Um, Course in Miracles. Uh, and Marianne Williams said, yeah. Yeah, it was on, was on with Bill Maher, and they're talking about how, you know, uh, the celebrity suicides, you know, I think a goodly number of them are induced by psychotropic medication that they're prescribed. There's a difference between sadness. You know, everybody's sad. I'm like, oh, God, this is not helpful. Not helpful. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like in dog training. Uh, one partner, husband or wife, takes the dog in, gets it trained not to jump. Other partner comes home, through the door, dog jumps, dog gets rewarded for jumping. You're the untrainer. So with, with depression and, and such, you know, there, we work very hard to educate the public and then somebody comes along and goes, no, no, it's the evil pharmaceutical companies. They just want everybody hooked. Depression's not really a thing. Everybody's, you know, has sadness. Oh God, please. I know I've had so many people, I tell you, I, and this is a whole other show and we want, maybe we'll edit this out of this one. I don't know, but, uh, I, I was telling someone, um, the 800th person who's invited me to go to their church. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, okay, do you not understand how many times that I have been invited? And if I would just do that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not saying I'm depressed. I, you know, they just know what I do and they just want me to come and maybe it'll influence all the people on the network to also follow this edict. And then they won't want it, they won't be suicidal. And I've learned maybe because I'm going to be 50 in January. I don't know. I've learned to just be like, oh, I used to battle that, fight it, get depressed about it, whatever. And now I'm like, oh, well, you never know. While I'm looking at, you know, my phone, like, when can I leave? Because <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to get through to everybody. And the people that I want to get through to are generally um, the people that are not saying a whole lot, you know? They're usually the quiet ones. <sighs> so Sally, tell our listeners where they can, you know, find out more about you. Well, thank you. Yeah. So uh, sallyspencerthomas.com is uh, my website and there you'll find the Hope Eliminate podcast as well as on this network and also on Apple and Spotify, Google Play and all the places. Um, today is World Suicide Prevention Day. So yes. uh, follow along the hashtag. Uh, WSPD, World Suicide Prevention Day, 
our theme is about pulling together, which has been a big part of our conversation today, working together, mm -hmm. the power of connection. Uh, Suicide Prevention Week is from the 9th to the 15th of September. You can follow along with hashtag stop suicide. Um, but really, this is a full year effort. It's not just an awareness day or week yes. or month. We have to engage with this all the time. And like Frank was talking about, it's not just pulling people out of the stream when they're drowning. It's getting upstream from that and helping them build um, resilience and also making the world a little less toxic. It's not all about yeah. troubled people. It's often about a very troubled world. Um, and so there's a lot of things that we can clean up in our workplaces and schools and, and, and so on. So um, I'm really grateful to be here. It's been super fun, as always, with Frank <laughs> King uh, telling his amazing yarns. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I'm just really grateful for you, Kristen, um, and Frank for me introducing me to you because what you're doing here is amazing, uh, bringing all of our our stories and our messages together on one platform for us to get to meet each other and leverage each other's work. And it's just a beautiful vision. And I'm so grateful that you pulled it together and that I'm now a part of it. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'm honored. I, uh, you all do the work. I'm, I'm just, I feel so grateful. People are going to like gag as I say this, but I really mean it. I'm not just saying this. I, I look at everything that everybody does and I'm like, how in the hell did I end up with these people? These people. <laughs> oh my God. So oh, can, <laughs> can I just close with one call, with yeah. one call to action for the listeners? Um, so tonight, wherever you are in the world, tonight at 8 p.m., if you would just light a candle in your window, this is part of the International Association of Suicide Prevention's annual ritual. Light a candle in your window. It could be for someone you've lost to honor their life. It could be uh, for someone you're worried about. Uh, it could be for your own resilience, your own coming through this, or your own current challenges. Um, light, a win light a candle in the window, 8 p.m., and just know that you're, you're, you'll sit in the glow of that candle in solidarity with millions of other people who are participating. Beautifully said. Absolutely. Thank you, Sally. Thank you so much. And thank you, Frank, for coming sure. on and doing the show on a very important day. Thank you both. Take care. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. 
get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.